what is in your heart. Are you easily offended? Are you a person that when you hear things, you think instantly of the negative? You think instantly of what could go wrong. Do you respond in anger to the things that you read, to the things that you hear? Perhaps it's not always what's being said, but your heart that's hearing that really determines how you interact with people. See, I think a lot of times I can be offended by what you say to me, even though the intent of what you say to me isn't offensive. That I receive it based on what's in my heart. If I'm easily offended or I get easily aggravated or I get real quick to judgment, it might not reveal what's being said to me. It might reveal more of what's happening in my heart. And this is important because we live in a culture that is easily offended. And while I can't control that world, I can control my world. And this is the point. This is not moving other people's mountains. This is moving my mountains. This is moving the things that I've put in place. I'm moving the things that have happened to me. I'm taking all the issues, the world, the sin, my sin, my dad's sin, all my, my parents' sin, how my, I was raised, all of these hurts, and I'm putting all of these things in front of me, and they're my mountains, and I control how I handle and how I deal with those things. And so if my heart is, it's your fault, and it's what? you've done, then I always have to come back to this place of no responsibility. I'm not making an excuse for what happened to you. I'm not making an excuse for the fact that what they did was wrong and they wronged you. But I am telling you, I am telling you, at some point in your life, you have to come to a place of stop blaming other people. And it is hard. I'm not telling you something that you're going to easily find today. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to try it. It's not going to happen that way. Paul is talking to a Philippian church. There's four chapters towards the end of Paul's life. And he's talking to this Philippian church. And Paul is in prison. It's the first time he's been in the Roman imprisonment. And this is where he is. He's locked up to a guard. Okay? Get a mental picture for a moment. He's locked up. There is a guard that he's locked to. There is a person in there that is writing what Paul is saying. Okay? He's writing the words that Paul is saying. Question. What would it be like if someone was following you writing your life? Just throwing that out there. It's not my notes. It's free. Okay? Like, what would it be like if you had someone that was writing your life out... By how you responded to what happened to you. Paul's in prison. This is the message of the book of Philippians. And it is about joy and what contends for our joy. But not just any joy. He says joy in the Lord. Joy is not a choice. Joy is not a surface emotion. Joy, true joy can only be found in a dynamic relationship that I have with Jesus. Here's here's the trump card. Apart from Jesus, you cannot find true joy. So when Jesus says things like, I'm the way, the truth, the life, this isn't just a heaven statement. He's saying, as you navigate through life, 
Apart from Jesus, there is no joy. You will find happiness, but happiness is only based on what happens to you. Right? Joy can only be found in Jesus. So if you came in and said, I want this joy, but I don't want a personal relationship with Jesus, I will say to you, it's not possible. Just like if you came to me and said, I need to fix my kids, but I I just am trying to do it on my own. I'm going to say to you, it's impossible. There's no fixing your kids. Apart from Jesus, there is no joy. Now, I say that up front because I think we try to find joy in other places, and I'm just letting us know up front, you can't. You cannot. If you're looking for it in a man, he's going to fail you. If you're looking for it in your kids, they're going to be jerks at some point. It's going to be hard. Okay? If you're looking for it in a woman, it's going to be difficult. And so Paul opens up Philippians chapter 1, and this is what he says. He says... May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And then he says, every time I think of you in prison, keep that in mind, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you. And I make my request with a heart full of joy. Again, Paul is not at church in his office praying for the church of Philippi. He's not going, today, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm thinking about my church. And in thinking about my church, I'm praying for you. That the God of grace and peace would be with you. And I'm doing it with full joy. He's in prison praying this. In prison. Verse 12. He says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. This is what Paul is saying. He's like, listen, what has happened to me? What has happened? He's declared the gospel, just like I'm doing to you right now, and they arrested him after they beat him up, right? No cameras. They beat him up. They put him in prison. He's in prison, and he's going, hey, guys. Because of what's happened to me, the good news of the gospel is spreading. Like people are coming to know Jesus because I'm in prison. Like how does that happen? What is the worst thing that has potentially happened to you that we make excuses on? We say things like, well, no wonder they walked away. Look what happened to them. Look how hard life was. Paul's going, I locked in when I got put in prison and the gospel is spreading. See, we have no excuse when we go, but you don't understand my life. I've done this. Have you been in prison for the sake of the gospel? Anybody? See, we're all in the same boat. None of us have. See, we're guilty of things that we've done. They're called consequences. We've done stupid things, bad things, and there's consequences. Paul has preached the gospel. He shared the good news, and he was beaten for it, and he's put in prison, and he's going, guys, the good news is spreading because of what has happened to me. See, usually when things like this happen to us, we stop. We stop. We don't grow We don't push through. We don't persevere. We stop. And Paul's going, don't stop. Look at chapter 4. This is where we'll spend our time. Talked a little bit about last week. 
Now, I'm already going to tell you, there's two women that he talks about in verse 2. I do not know how to pronounce their name. Even the one guy in the Bible app, he said their names, and it still didn't make sense. And nobody on the planet names their kid these names. And there's a reason for that, right? So, uh, you know, don't, don't try to correct me. Like, don't be that person that's like, actually, how it was really pronounced was this. Like, don't, I, I don't care, okay? So, like, you coming to me and, like, you pronounce it wrong. I don't care. Don't be that person, all right? I just rebuke you in the name of... <laughs> but I'm an English teacher. I don't care. Teach your students. I'm not one, all right? Okay? Here's what he says. He's saying to the church of Philippi, I plead with you. Here's the horrible names. You ready? Don't even like, oh, it's that's it's I don't care. It's Yudia and Syntag. I don't even care. I don't even care what their names are. No one's naming it unless you're in this room and you name your kids one of those two. Don't talk to me. All right. So here's what he says. I plead with both of you to what? To settle their disagreement and be restored with one mind in, in our Lord. And I would like my dear friend and burden bearer to help resolve this issue. For both women have diligently labored with me for the prize and helped in spreading the revelation of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers. All of their names are written in the book of life. Here's what he established up front. He's like, listen, these ladies, they're fighting. They got issues, all these things. But here's who they are. Man, they're Christians. They're laborers. They're, they're going after the gospel. They're sharing the good news. Okay, they're, they're, they're going to heaven. And he says, be cheerful. This is the Passion Translation. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life and let joy overflow for you are united with the anointed one. Let gentleness be seen in every relationship for our Lord is ever near. He says, don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. He says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed. All that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. Fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. So this is Paul talking, and he's like, listen, you're in a season of life where anxiety, anxiousness, worry can dominate, fear can dominate. He's like, you're in a season of life where no matter what the season is, there's opportunities for your mind to run wild, right? You're in this opportunity of life where if you allow your mind to run, and he's saying, listen, here's some things you got to do in this season of life when you're anxious, when you're in a prison, so to speak, when you're like Paul, who's writing a church going, guys, listen, I know the gospel's being spread, but here's what you got to do. And he starts off this way, and he says this, here's the mountain in your life. Here's what's bringing you anxiety. He's saying, settle your disputes. Settle your disappointments. He's saying, listen, is there someone in your life that you're mad at? He's saying, make it right. Listen, you know what brings anxiety? Broken relationships. So much that Paul writes the Philippian church and he opens up with, and he calls them by name. I mean, it's not like he's like, hey, I'm going to stereotype here. There's some people who aren't getting along. He doesn't do it. He calls them out. He calls them out. I mean, it's like, hey, Sean and Hayden, listen, you guys are doing great things. You need to figure it out. Figure out this dispute. And then he says, and I'm asking for some Christians, for some real 
armor bearers, people in the church. I'm asking you to go to them and I'm asking you to help them. I'm asking you to mediate. I'm asking you to help them out. He's saying, listen, this is so important that we settle these disputes. First and foremost, he's saying this is who we're called to be, that we are Christians, and that when we get to heaven, we're going to live with other Christians, that there's not going to be a wall there. Sorry, John. There's not going to be a wall that divides us. They're going to be in heaven. He just said that. What did he focus on? He did not focus on the fact that the, what they're fighting about. He focused on the fact that they were great laborers and their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that they're going to heaven. And he's like, listen, since they're going to heaven, figure it out. Since they're going to heaven, make it right. Because it's causing anxiety. It's causing you to live different. Because you have a broken relationship. And this is something all of us, at some point in our life, if not today, we have to make right. We have to. Listen, if you and your wife are fighting, make it right. If he was wrong, if she was wrong, <laughs> my wife's out of town, so <laughs> I will be careful, just in case. Are you waiting to hear your right? Are you waiting for an apology? He didn't say that. He said, first and foremost, you two ladies, unite yourself back with the Lord. Make it right. You know who he's talking to? He's talking to the church. You know why? Because it's typically not the problems that we're having with people outside the church. That is the problem. It's the people that we have inside the church. This is why it hurts so much. It hurts so much because it shouldn't be this way. It hurts so much because I expect more. It hurts so much because I can handle someone who doesn't go to church doing something wrong. I can forgive them a lot easier. But we know better. This is what he's saying. This is causing us issues. Again, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Jesus said we are to be people that make peace. Like we are to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Again, peacemakers don't avoid confrontation. Love the way you're shouting today. Ask this question. Am I a peacemaker? Do I sweep things under the rug? Listen, you might be in this room and you might go, it doesn't bother me. I've just ignored them. I unfriend them. I don't see their stuff anymore. I'm totally good. You're not good. Because the moment someone brings up their name, where does your mind go? And Paul addresses this at the end. <laughs> Listen, if you can't think of a person and then have a a heart or a mind that is pure and right, then something is wrong. And I would say this, and don't, don't, I don't care if you get mad, but it's more you than it is them. You need to settle it. That's a mountain in your life right now. It's a mountain in your life that we're not settling the disputes. And listen, If you're in this room and there's a dispute between another person and it's small, I'm telling you, the faster you do that, the faster you make it right, the faster you own up your part, and and believe me, there's a part, okay? I, I know we've lied so many times, we're like, it's them, it's not me, I've done nothing wrong, actually you have, okay? But it's okay, we'll talk about that later. Make it right today.
It's affecting you. This is the first thing he said. Then he continues. And he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. He says joy always. Again, where is Paul? Prison. Who is Paul chained to? A Roman guard. What is the possibilities of Paul's life? Freedom or be a martyr? These are his two choices. He's either going to be released and always looking over his shoulder or he's going to die a martyr. These are his two choices. This is what's happening in his life. And he's saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord always, guys. Again, I say rejoice when he could have said so many other things. Paul is not saying, here's what Paul's not saying, that life will be enjoyable all the time. But he is saying, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what's so cool about this little verse? He says, rejoice in your circumstances always. He doesn't say that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. There's a big difference. How do we rejoice always? This is what Paul is trying to get us to come back to. He says, this brings us back to the matter of how can we be joyful as a matter of discipline or the will? How is it possible to remain joyful? And this is the source of being a follower of Jesus, that I can be joyful when I'm joyful in the Lord, that it does not mean that bad things will not happen to me. It does, however, mean that when I remember what the Lord has done, there will be joy. When I remember that I'm forgiven, when I remember that there's eternity, when I remember what God has done, I will always find joy in what the Lord has done. When I forget that, Then I focus on the circumstance, I focus on the tragedy, I focus on what was said to me, I focus on how you treated me, I focus on what you did to me, I focus on my sin, but when I remember what the Lord has done, I will find joy in the Lord. That's why he says, that song we just sang, reminds me. You know why? Because you and I, we so need reminded. Anybody? Like, I need reminded like, Daily. It's called marriage. (laughs) And then he says this in verse 5 Let your gentleness be evident to all. I mean, oh my gosh. He said, Listen, you know how you're supposed to be known? You're supposed to be known to every person you come in contact with as gentle. Again, he's saying, during a conflict, during a dispute, he's saying, be gentleness to all. Be gentle in everything you say, in everything you do. This is why the writer of Proverbs says, a gentle answer deflects anger. Harsh words, they stir up or make tempers flare. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, when you're gentle, it changes people. So he says... Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let everyone know that you are a gentle person. This is why the writer of Galatians, Paul, said the Galatian church, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love. In all its 
expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, strength of the spirit, never set the laws above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. He's saying, listen, this is the result of being in a relationship with Jesus, that you are gentle. This is a result of being in a relationship with Jesus that you love, that you forgive. And again, this is why. He continues in verse 5. He says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. He's saying, listen, since the Lord is near, there's nothing to be anxious about. See, I think a major mountain in all of our lives is anxiety. Now, most of you know this. I'm not a dog person. Okay? Where's my dog people at? Raise your hand. No, I mean, I, you know what? I need you as a dog person to stand up. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Stand up. Yeah, go ahead. Stand up. You love dogs? What's that? So I just one of you. I just need one of you while my wife's away to take my dog. Either you're a dog person or you're not. No, I'm not a cat person either. Listen, I'm just saying, don't, no, you cannot be a person that's like, I'm a dog person. Oh, I don't want your dog. You can't. I got two services. I only need one of you, right? I only need one of you. It's a good weekend for you to take my dog. It is, though. The most anxious dog I've ever met in my life. Like, it has anxiety. Like, I've given it... Oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, So. It has anxiety. Like, I don't don't get it. Though, uh, I consider it the kid's dog. Okay? But, I just need one person. My wife comes home tomorrow with the girls. They're gone all week. Like, I just need one of you. And I'm not moving on until... Fine, it's going to the Thai house. (laughs) Since the Lord is near, do not be anxious about anything. Here's what the writer of Psalms says. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. This is a key. He's saying, listen, in your anxiety, he gives us some things to do in our anxiety. I would say this, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. He says, in your anxiety, call on the name of the Lord in truth. Which means we are to be honest in the things we're asking of the Lord. Some of us, it needs to move from the mind to the mouth. And we need to speak out the things that have been holding us back because we're so anxious. He says in this passage that you and I, in our anxiety, are to pray. Listen, if you've ever driven down the road and a light comes on, 
right? A light comes on and says, check your engine. The light is not the problem. It's telling you there is a problem. When you get anxious, it's not that you're anxious, it's the problem. There's another problem that's happening. And in that problem, you want to take it to the person that knows what to do with that problem. I'm not just taking it to any mechanic. No offense. I'm taking it to the one, probably the dealership, because they made it and my warranty's there. And I'm taking it there because I know it's going to be fixed. Why? Because that's what has to happen. When I'm anxious, it's indicating that I have a problem. And sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's doubt. Sometimes I'm trusting myself. Sometimes I need to forgive someone. Sometimes I need to settle a dispute. Sometimes I need to get things in line. It's indicating that I have a problem. And Paul says, in this moment, you are to pray. And what? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Listen, my job when I get anxious is to go to the Lord in complete honesty. Okay? In complete honesty, and I'm to say to him, in my petition and in talking to him in my prayers with thanksgiving. This is key. With thanksgiving, I am to present. Listen, there's no way that we can be thankful and complaining at the same time. He's saying with thanksgiving. So it's not, God, here's my kids. Like, take them. Like, I don't know what to do with them. It's, God, thank you. That I get the opportunity to be a father. God, I need your help. Like on my own, God, I'm going to lose it. Like I need your help. For whatever reason, they're like their mom. And God, I don't know why you did that. But Lord, I'm coming to you. And I thank you for my wife. I thank you for these kids. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you have a plan. But God, they're yours. And I need you. See, I can do this because it says the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. So I know, God, you're near, and now I can come to you with my prayers, with my thanksgiving, and I I know that you're hearing me because you're near. So he's not saying, hey, don't be anxious. He's not just throwing it out there. Stop it. He's not just saying, stop the anxiety. He's not just saying, take a bunch of pills. He's not saying, medicate yourself. He's saying, in your anxiety, in your fear, pray. First and foremost, you pray. Watch what he does. You pray. In every circumstance, you pray. Listen to this quote. It's not mine. Joe Thorne said this. He says, God does not promise to rid your life of affliction and difficulty. He does, however, offer to give you the grace needed to suffer well. And through grace to discover the riches and beauty of the gospel. It isn't wrong to ask God to relieve you of your pain. But it is more important that in the midst of the pain, you rely on the promise of God to work such experiences for his glory and your good. To use these times as a means of perfecting your faith, strengthening your spirit, transforming your life in such a way that you are becoming more like Jesus. Paul is saying, okay, to the church, you're going to have anxiety. There's going to be things that you worry about. But in those moments, you pray. Listen, church culture, what happens 
I'm not going to call anybody out. But what happens if I say, so-and-so, would you stand and pray? We're like, what, the, what did I do? Or as I've always heard, well, you're the pastor, you do it. Why? We like freak out. Why do you think the enemy is contending for your life to do one thing? To stop you from praying. So we put barriers on prayer life like it's, it's so different, right? That now all of a sudden I got I to gotta pray a certain way. When, when the Bible says that the disciples could have asked Jesus anything, anything, what did they say to him? Teach us to pray. Right? He didn't say, hey, hey how do we win this world? Like, how do I, how do I fix my relationship with my in-laws? He didn't, they didn't say that. He said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to pray? And, and so now the enemy's contending us when we're anxious and when we're worried and when we have situations going on. See, listen, there's moments in my life when I have issues that I'd rather talk to people than to God, and that's a problem. That's a problem. And he says, listen, in your anxiety, again, if you're worried about it, pray first and foremost. In fact, if someone comes to you and says, hey, I have a decision to make, the first question we should ask is, have you prayed about it? Because we tend to go, no, I was wanting you to pray, and hopefully you're going to give me an answer. You know what that means? That means when you don't hear what you wanted to hear, now you have someone to blame. Which is why people pray one prayer and then they go, well, God didn't show up, so he must not love me. He said, no, continue to pray and to pray with thanksgiving and to be persistent in doing that. This is why you go back to Philippians 1. And this is what he says. Verse 17. I love this. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful. But that doesn't matter. I love that he says that. That doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, If you're anxious, if you have fear, if there's something going on in your life and there's a problem, there's disagreements, here's the answer. You pray. And you pray this way, with thanksgiving and being specific with Jesus. Jesus can handle your honesty. And then he says, the results of moving these mountains, the result of taking that fear, the result of fixing the disagreement, the, the result of um, by faith coming and saying, God, would you take these mountains of my life? And again, some of these mountains are mountains I've created. Like fixing the disagreement is going back and telling someone I messed up. That's fixing it. That's a mountain. You know when you do that? When you're humble. That's the only way you can do that. The only way you can look at another person and say, you are right, I am wrong, is in humility. It's the only way. The result of that and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, I want verse 7 I want to highlight verse 7. I need the peace of God to go beyond all understanding, but I don't want to fix my disagreements. I want to tell everybody I'm anxious. I got anxiety, but I don't want to pray about it. 
I don't want to come in truth. See, I want verse 7 to be this anthem. And he says, but this is the problem. You're complaining. You're talking to other people and not God. You have more people that hate you than like you. And you don't want to settle in those disagreements because you got to be right. And in being right, you want the peace of God. And God says, it's not that I don't have peace. I just can't operate there. I can't operate there. God, I need you to come in and fix my peace. He's like, I'm trying. You need to do your part. We don't like that. We don't like that. I don't like that. But this is the result. Peace that blows people away. So now, this joy that I have, it's not superficial. This joy that I have, even though I'm in prison, even though something has happened to me, this joy is not in circumstances. This joy is in my relationship with the Lord, and that's what I'm celebrating, that he's still on the throne. He still loves me. He still cares for me. He still forgives me. Despite what I've done, he's still there. Like, that's what I'm rejoicing in, the fact that God forgives and that God heals and that God's grace and his mercies are new every morning. These are the promises of God, not my promises, not your spouse's promise. These are the promises of the Lord. So this is why I can rejoice in the Lord, because he does that, even though other people will never do that. See, I think the, the problem is I rejoice in marriage more than I rejoice in the Lord. And I love my wife, but she will fail me. But I can rejoice in the one who knows me. So when the check engine light comes on, I can go to him and go, okay, Lord, something's not right here. And I don't get it. There's a lot of wires. There's a lot of things that even YouTube's aren't showing me. Like, I don't know what to do, Lord. I need you right now. You're the one who created me. You're the one who knows me. You're the one that I can be honest with. You're the one that I can bring to you because I'm rejoicing in you, God. I don't need the peace of Kelly. I don't need the peace of Jamie. I need the peace of God to transcend. I don't need the the peace of approval. I need the peace of God. And then he says, in the very end, finally, verse 8 of chapter 4, finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, I love this. Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You and I don't mind practicing certain things. You go to your job. You don't, they don't just tell you something to do and you go, all right, I think I'm going to just, I'll figure it out. They don't show up to the turf. Like, guys, we don't need to practice today. On game day, let's just see how it goes. Right? He said, listen, there's going to be moments where you need to figure out what do you need to do differently here. Okay? I'll tell you this. One of the things that I've gotten really good at putting into practice Okay? I will by no means tell you that I am an avid runner, nor will I ever be the person on there that's like, oh, love running. Here's my you know, 12.1 on the back of my car. I would never do that. Okay? 
But for me personally, when there's a struggle, when there's anxiety, when there is thoughts in my mind that are not pure thoughts, my best prayer time is when I go on a run. My best clearing my mind, clearing my thoughts, putting it into practice, getting away, making my physical body tired, working out. So I don't know all the psychological, mental things that happen, but I know for me personally, the best thing, in fact, my wife will probably even tell you, like, hey, I'm going for a run. What's the matter? You know, it's like, I need to go for a run. Why? Because I'm putting into practice the things that I need to do. I need to think on things that are pure. And right now, something has happened and it's not pure. I need to put into practice these things. Some of us, it's journaling. I need to journal. I need to write. Find your place where you can put into practice changing your mind where the peace of God shows up. Listen, every victory builds confidence. Every time there's temptation and you reject that temptation and you walk away. Every time you want to say something and you keep your mouth shut and you don't say it, there's a confidence that's coming. What is happening? You're putting into practice being gentle, being a soft answer, being a safe place to land for people. You're putting into practice these things in relationship. Every time you step out of your comfort zone and you go to somebody and it might be the most ridiculous thing in the world. Hey, I just want to apologize. The other day I did this and it's like, that is so little. You're putting into practice how to apologize. This is why you say to your little kids, say you're sorry. They're not sorry. They're three years old. They are three. They're glad they just punched you in the face. They're not sorry. You're saying, tell them you're sorry. Why? Because you're trying to get them to put into practice. We don't practice. We'll never show up and be ready. Oh, I just, I think I'll be really good. No, I think I'll be ready. No, we need to put into practice things that we can do to think that are true. Think on things that are noble, that are right, that are pure. Listen, I need to reject and I need to move. Find that. Find that. Guys, these are some heavy mountains. And some of you, let's be real. You're an anxious person. Your mountain is huge. It's huge. My dog's mountain, huge 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 and you're like God how do I do this by faith Jesus said you can move that mountain you can throw that thing into the sea but it, it comes down to a matter of trust do you trust Jesus with your life do you trust him with your life do you trust him with your mountain are you still on the I'm trying to figure it out Jesus I got it it's not that big of a deal if you're worrying about it you need to give it to him you need to give it to him. Would you stand with me today? I wanted to do this song at the end because it's a declaration song. It's a song where we are declaring freedom. Some of you, you don't feel free today. You're like, I am weighted today. I feel like there's heaviness. I feel like there's a lot going on. I feel weighted today. 
And by faith, you might need to declare, we're free, we're free, forever we're free. By faith, you might need to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I come to you. And I give you my marriage, I give you my family, I give you my job, I give you the disagreement. God, I'm asking you to help me. I've gone to everybody else. God, I apologize, I've not gone to you. God, I'm coming to you right now, and I'm saying, Lord, I need you. Listen, there's a big cultural statement that says this. Keep calm and whatever. I saw one the other day. It says, keep calm and trust Jesus. Listen, listen. I disagree with that. Because there's nothing calm about my anxiety. So it's more like trust Jesus and the calm will come. Jesus says, listen, in your anxiety, in your crazy, come to me. And watch what I do. When the storms are raging, the Bible says that Jesus spoke and the storms stopped. See, when you come to Jesus, there's this moment where you're going, God, I don't know how I'm going to fix this. And God goes, watch what I'm about to do. You know when that happens? When I come to him. When I come to him. When I trust Jesus then the calm comes. God, I pray today. God, that whatever the worry, whatever has our attention, God, it's big or it's small. It does not matter. We can come to you. God, I pray that you would help us today. Help us to to live in freedom. To be reminded of what you've done to have joy in the Lord in my relationship with you, that you can be trusted today and that you transform. God, I'm thankful that you accept us as we are today. I'm thankful that you love us where we are today. In the middle of our crazy, in the middle of our chaos, you come and you calm the storms. God, thank you for what you do in our lives. If you're in this room today, you just say, hey, listen, as we, as we sing this song, I need specific prayer. There's people up here. You can wait afterwards. There's gonna be people available to pray with you. I encourage you, I challenge you to use this moment as an opportunity to get someone to agree with you in prayer. Amen?